Hello everybody and welcome to Drop to Flat, how a goofy calamaro can jump on the mountain bike world, powered by the Broomwagon podcast and supported by Komoot. Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Hello everybody, how you doing? I was just making some tests on my voice if I want to put something like a setting, like in the radio world. Hopefully everything is gonna be fine and I'm super happy today because we are gonna kick in into traveling and touring on mountain bikes thanks to Gabe from the Oregon Timber Trail. I'm super happy for this interview and for this interview I have to say thanks to Dom Ferris from the Trash Free Trails. By the way, I really hope that you are setting up all your uh, trail clean, spring trail clean, uh, that is actually really supported and well supported by Trash Free Trails. Anyway, everything is there down into the description below. You should have read about that also in my last newsletter also that one is down there and because i want to mention everything before starting with the interview i want to say thanks a lot for the support to komoot and if you also want to grab your extra region for you're leaving the touring outside, not only cycling, but also hiking. I'm saying that because this weekend I'm gonna go up to the mountains and then I'm gonna walk a lot there. But yeah, just feel free to go to komoot.com slash G, like Greenland, and write the code BROOM. In this way, you can unlock your free region for offload... Oh, no, it's not offload, it's offline. Offline maps and turn-by-turn -turn navigation, for example, just saying, just saying. And thanks a lot to all of you that are listening to this podcast and this episode to Drop to Flat. By the way, we are on the penultimate episode of this mini-series. It's going to be today, Gabe, and next week we are going to talk with Eleanor and Gabby from Komoot a bit more about trail setting up and also some cool tips about uh, how to plan your track on the off-road, in the proper off-road. Tell me something. Tell me how you liked it and send me some feedbacks. You know where, right? Calamaro CC Instagram account or Broom Wagon Club on the Instagram, as I was saying. Hello at calamaro.cc. That's the email. And remember that you can subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. So I mean Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, wherever you want. And if you rate it and review it, you're going to make me an extra favor. And if you share it, even better. And if you want, you can also support my work by going on Coffee, ko-fi slash broomwagon podcast I think, Broomwagon podcast anyways, down below you will find as well all the links that you need and then you can drop me some coins and then give me a coffee if you want to do it just to support me on that. We were talking about mountain bikes so I am enjoying so much in this period on this mountain bike thing and by talking with Gabe today I don't know, I got a half of the idea of making a bikepacking trip with a 29er fat tire, fully suspended or maybe just front suspended mountain bike. This thing will really unlock everything on your experience. Oregon Timber Trail, amazing project and Gabe will tell us everything about that. Listen to him, we are gonna just talk again at the end of this episode with a little tip about Komoot, with a bit of comments on the podcast, on the episode, on the interview that we talked about, and also with some more news, maybe. I have the idea that I probably need my microphone as well. I have the idea that all these 
kind of serious. It's really, really uh, linked and it's really, really supported by Dom from Trash Free Trails because he suggested the top. Sorry, he suggested the title that is Drop to Flat. He suggested a lot of guests that should be here, and this is the case of Gabriel that I have here today. And together with Gabriel, we are. Uh, uh, let's start from here. How do you prefer me to call you? Is Gabriel, uh, Gabe? What's the best? Hey, Gabriel. That's great. Gabriel is Gabe. It is great or Gabe. Okay, perfect. Gabe, that is the great mind behind the Oregon Timberland, uh, Oregon Timber Trail, and great explorer, great traveler with a bike, and mountain biker. And today we are going to go into a bit of topics. Maybe we're going to talk about that later. First of all, hi Gabe, how are you doing? Hi, um, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm doing great. Yes, weather is good, everything is good. You told me that probably today is not going to be a good day for you for going out with a bike because you are freaking busy with uh, meetings and stuff, right? Yeah, unfortunately, because spring has hit here, so it's sunny and flowers are popping up outside and blue skies, but uh, I think today is mostly inside in front of the computer. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell me in a few words where you're based? You are in Oregon, right? Because, yeah, Oregon Trail, so. Yep. Yeah, I'm based in, in Portland, Oregon. It's, uh, that's the capital of the, or not the capital of the state, but the biggest city uh, in the state here. Um, and I've been here for about 16 years. Uh, I'm, I used to live in Minnesota, grew up in the, the center of the country in, in Michigan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, just out of curiosity, so is the biggest city in Oregon is Portland. Which one is the capital city of the state? Salem. Ah. So it's about an hour south of here. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, you are the second person that I'm thinking about. Probably, for sure, the second, maybe the third, that I'm interviewing from Portland. I also interviewed Dustin Klein, the super famous cyclist, and he was Fixed Gear cyclist now, YouTuber, artist, or whatever. He also yeah, lives in I, Portland. I don't know him personally, but um, definitely know of him, follow him on, online. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for being here. Really, thank you. And as I was saying, today we are going to talk a bit more about the exploration, travel, bikepacking side of mountain bikes. But first of all, can you give us a little intro about yourself, even if a long, or even a long one, as you want? <laughs> Yeah, um, I, you know, I grew up in a, in a rural area, so we did a lot of fishing and camping, um, and just really that really grew my appreciation of the outdoors. Um, and then I got into mountain biking uh, as I went to college, um, and then when I moved to Portland, it's sort of a, a large city, so I didn't have a, a vehicle right off the bat, didn't have a lot of access to mountain biking. So I sort of transitioned into being more of a transportation cyclist, commuting around town. Uh, and then about 10 years ago or so, maybe a little more, um, I really started to fuse the two, getting out, um, out more on gravel roads, doing more just adventurous road riding. Uh, and that sort of just evolved um, from there to get more and more adventurous and, you know, exploring on rougher and rougher double track roads and, and now single track trails. And uh, it's been a really incredible journey, you know, since this timber trail concept was sort of thought up um, to take that idea and just run with it and, and see how, fa how far it's come in such a short amount of time. Yeah, that's great. I just want to ask you first a curiosity and then I want to know more about the timber trail. But the curiosity is, you said that actually basically your 
let's say, uh, your kind of journey with bikes started with commuting, then going into adventure gravel, and then moving a bit more in the rough, more rougher terrain all the time. And then you arrived directly then on mountain bike and traveling on mountain bike. When did you feel actually the need of moving from a flat bar to, sorry, a drop bar to a flat bar or from thin tires to a bit chunkier tires? So when did you feel the the need of moving from one side to the other? Yeah, good question. Um, I think... You know, I've never been super into riding really fast or uh, racing. Um, so even on my more, I had a, had a sort of a commuter that I could fit fatter tires on. So I was actually doing touring on that. It was like a touring slash um, commuter bike. And that had sort of, sort of just like flat swept bars. Uh, and I realized that that was actually better for some of the rougher riding. You know, you can't go as fast because you don't have as much, um, it's not an aggressive, as an aggressive of a riding position as drop bars are. Um, so it was sort of a natural transition, even um, trying a bunch of different, you know, bike styles. And I realized that drop bars are great if you want to really hammer, but that was never what I was doing. So I was like cruising around enjoying the countryside and, and sweat back bars or flat bars or riser bars are much better for that. Perfect. And now at the moment, you are still, I think, touring with your bike, going a bit rougher terrain or whatever with your bike. What bike do you have? You have, oh, which, what bikes do you have? But what's, <laughs> where, actually, where do you go straight when you have to pick up the first bike? Yeah, it, um, I've got a lot of bikes. I, uh, I, my newest and probably funnest bike right now is a, a giant trance. And that's just a really nice um lightweight full suspension bike that uh super fun and playful on the trails but light enough and uh efficient enough to pedal it for a real long day too um i sort of dedicated bike packing rig as a, a money it's a small steel builder uh, out of new mexico and that's great it's a 29 plus um bike with a uh suspension up front um, I could keep going. We still have that commuter touring bike I talked about. Um, and then a sort of a faster, uh, titanium gravel bike, a Ren, which is, uh, based here in Portland. Um, and then I've got a, a fat bike and a, a dirt jumper and, uh, I think that might've checked them all. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. And actually you, I, I really, um, as I understood, actually, you really like the versatility of bikes because yeah, you've named the giant and you said, okay, it's super light that I can actually travel and stay longer on the bike, but still it's super playful. And also when you talk about your uh, gravel titanium bike, also there, titanium gravel bike means that you can do whatever you want. You can go on the tarmac, you can go off-road or whatever it is you can enjoy. It seems like versatility is the objective that I would use actually for your bike setup. Of course, of the <laughs> jumper and stuff, okay. This is super specific, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's true for most of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. perfect. Uh, you actually named, before going into specific question and curiosity that I have really on, on topic, but you mentioned actually, and I mentioned as well at the beginning, the Oregon Timber Trail. Can you tell us more about that? What's the project and what's in mind? Which one is the vision? Which one is the mission? Which one is the idea behind it? Yeah, so we're when I started getting into this more long distance adventure style riding, um, you know, I think bikepacking was just starting to become a thing back in 2012 or so, about eight, eight years ago. Um, 
I started with some friends a guiding business. So our, our goal is to take people out on multi-day sort of bikepacking style trips. And these were all really situated around gravel roads or, or dirt road um, riding. We didn't have any single track um, routes initially. Uh, but as I was doing that, I got connected with some people that worked in the tourism industry here in Oregon. Um, they recognized like what we were doing, developing these routes, uh, looking at maps and figuring out these sort of unknown connections from place from point A to point B um, was really neat. And, and they shared this idea that they had to create a, a hut to hut mountain bike system similar to, you know, what you have in the Alps or New Zealand or British Columbia. They wanted to create a similar style experience here in Oregon. Uh, and, you know, we're not there yet. Um, we don't have any huts on the timber trail, but this, this was sort of our, our solution. Like it would be really difficult to build a bunch of huts across the entire state. Um, but let's start with the trail. And if we, if the trail is successful and enough people are using the trail that want to see huts, then we can sort of gather that community and, and ask to, for these huts to be built. And it'll be much easier to ask that way if we have a community behind us. And that is actually the popularity till now. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's to sort of ride the whole thing. It's uh, 700 miles. It takes about two to three weeks for most people. Uh, so it's not an easy undertaking by any means. So the number of people that ride the whole thing, we're, we're guessing is probably 40 or 50 every year. Uh, but the, the geographic diversity is pretty amazing. I think we have folks that have ridden it from 15 or 20 different countries. Um, and definitely people have downloaded the route guide from well over 30 countries. Um, so pretty cool to see the reach that it's gotten and, and the number of people that it's really bringing to the state and, and exploring these areas. Yeah, that's super cool. But I just want to uh, slightly talk about as well, you were talking about building the trails or maintaining the trails. Who is taking care of that? Is it you taking care to you? And I mean, you, your team and whoever is behind that, that is taking care about building up the train and then put them together and create the maps and uh, and everything. So from physical work on the ground to physical work on the map, or are you just connecting trails that are already there? And you're just maintaining them. And once they are there, you just keep on maintaining year over year. Or there is actually the state and actually is a bit more the community, local community doing it. Yeah, it's sort of a, a combination of all that. Um, when we started out, you know, it was linking up existing trails. We didn't, we knew that building a big, long distance, brand new trail would be really difficult. So we're like, what can we work, what can we develop with what already exists? Um in comparison to some of the other routes that I had developed, I knew that this was sort of a, had a, a longer timeline associated with it. So, you know, other routes, I was like, okay, these trails actually have to be in decent condition and rideable right now in order to create them. With this route, I'm like, we can use trails that have been completely forgotten about, buried in fallen trees, because we do have some momentum and some initiative to actually open up these forgotten lost trails. So that was like a, a big difference between um, prior routes that I developed and this route. So we, we ended up uncovering a lot of those trails and um, spent the last four or five years just uh, catching up on the maintenance um, on them. 
there's a lot of other areas along the, the trail that have really dedicated user groups, other other nonprofit trail organizations that do a great job maintaining those sections. Um, but we've really focused on our efforts on those sort of forgotten farther farther afield sections that just don't see that love. Now, sort of, we're looking into the future because uh, right at right at about or, or right now we're at about forty percent of the route is still on dirt roads and gravel roads. We like to continually sort of whittle away at that and and get more and more of the, the trail onto single track. And we're looking at like building strategic connectors to eliminate road riding sections and uh, just sort of improve that that backcountry single track experience. That's great. That's great. So let's jump into the topic then. Uh, you just said that. So you have forty percent of yeah of the route that you you are setting up together but 40 percent of the route is basically for now still dirt roads and i would say yes fire roads and stuff that you can do with a gravel ride right while the rest is mountain bike roads and you are you are working on developing it basically everything on single track and trails why that so why are you working on this direction and why you are moving it i would say moving away from the roads that are basically uh, the one that actually they're a bit more uh, recognized at the moment as the main roads, so double track and fire roads or whatever, more recognized at the moment as the classic bike packing roads. Why you are trying to move all this bike packing mission into the mountain bike side? Yeah, a um, couple different reasons. I think that uh, personally, mountain biking is just way more fun. It adds a, an element of play that can exist in a gravel bike or a, or a road bike, but the element of play in mountain biking is certainly a really strong one. Uh, so integrating more of that playful experience, tra playful trail experience into, into a bike packing uh, trip is, is super fun. Uh, but this also has to do with connection to the landscape. I just feel like I'm a lot more connected to the different natural landscapes that I'm traveling through. If I'm on a single track trail, I can stop and look at, you know, plants or whatever alongside the trail, just lay in the grass for a while. Whereas on a road, there's always, it's, it's developed enough that, you know, even if there's no traffic, it still doesn't feel as, as comfortable to, to lay around. And, and certainly on some routes, you know, you are in areas where there's considerable traffic, which isn't, you know, obviously isn't that, that fun to ride around. Okay. Okay. It makes sense. So basically you are, uh, Let's put it in this way. You are trying to catch in this way a bit more of connection between your riding and the nature, and also you're trying to catch as well a bit more of fun and playful spirit. That's what it is, right? Yeah, that's what it, that's what it is for me, for sure. Yes, yes, yes. That's perfect. And I just want to ask you a bit more of a general question because, yes, we just talked about that, but I want to hear your opinion on that. Now seems like that all the adventure cycling, I mean, all the adventure cycling, for the market, for the world, or whatever, has to be done on a drop bar gravel bike. Why do you think is that? Because, I don't know, gravel bike are a bit more comfortable and gravel road are more comfortable, but on the other side, probably you don't have the same connection with nature, you don't have the same spirit of uh, of fun or whatever you get. But why everything moved in this direction? I have my idea, but I want to tell you that just after. <laughs> so tell me more. Tell me yours. Yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not totally sure. I guess my guess would be because mountain bikes already exist, um, and gravel bikes or adventure bikes didn't exist. So 
I think the industry probably saw it as a, a new market they could create and sell more product, um, which is great because, you know, adventure bikes, gravel bikes have been a pretty tremendous uh, driver of innovation in the cycling world. So, um, yeah, that, that's that's my hunch. Um, and I'm not I'm not saying that as a dig. I think it's, it's been pretty great for the, the sport as a whole. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to tell you in two words my idea. I will try not to be super harsh. I truly believe that actually this is a market space. Uh, that's only what it is. Because basically, uh, I truly believe that there are a lot of people that are basically tired of being on the road most of the time and being on the road with cars and whatever it is. But probably making let them making the jump from day to day from road bikes, classic tarmac, completely smooth, and then super physical activity, and uh, instead of leisure and this and that, directly to mountain bike, and completely different technique, and completely different spirit, and completely different everything. It was a bit too, uh, let's say, the gap between them is a bit too large to be jumped. And so yeah, they put something in the middle, and because, let's be honest, in places like, I mean, U.S., and we are talking about, for example, I was talking a bit of time ago with one guy who organizes a gravel series in Northern Europe, so I mean Scandinavia, and in places like also is the same thing for Asia, but same thing in Italy as well, and here in Switzerland, same thing. There are a lot of gravel roads that are just used from time to time from people walking. Well, there is a lot of space and a lot bit more of exploration that can be done on those roads, and actually this is exactly the gap where to put that. But by saying that and by saying, okay, let's go out, let's go explore on places where there are for sure less car and a bit more nature and whatever, and let everybody think this is the only way to go, there is one word or the other. So I'm super happy of talking with you today that you are saying on the other side, okay, you can travel with your gravel bike, you can travel with whatever. I just think that with a mountain bike is a bit more fun and better for you to absorb all the nature that you have around. So giving this point of view is great. Yeah, you you make a great point there that, you know, the transportation infrastructure that exists, uh, it's a lot easier to access from your home, wherever you live, if you live in an urban area or even a more rural area, like it's way easier to hop on a, a road and find some peace and quiet directly at your front door um, than it is to go find a, a you know, a bucolic single track trail somewhere in the mountains like i i end up having to drive an hour plus you know just to go ride my mountain bike so to totally get that that ease of access to to most folks for for gravel cycling yeah 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 um let's move in this direction i want to know a bit more of technicalities you know for sure more than me on that so we said that basically there is a way and is an amazing way of traveling and bikepacking also with a mountain bike but how easy is really on technical thing? Because, I don't know, I have the kind of idea that probably, yes, traveling on a gravel bike in smoother terrain is a bit easier because it's smoother, as I was saying. And actually also the seems like a gravel bike that is basically a rigid frame, even with a flat bar, but still a rigid frame, has more space for bags and stuff. And so also for the things that you can bring with you. And I mean from uh, food to everything. How is it to do it on a mountain bike? Do you think it's still, it's still easy? And which one are the difference? Yeah, it's a, definitely a challenge to fit everything you need to go camping on a full suspension bike. And 
mean, that's why my dedicated bikepacking bike is a is a hardtail, uh, just because you can uh, you don't have to worry about your seat bagging and hitting the rear tire. You have a big uh, frame triangle to fit a frame bag in. Um, that said, you know, tech, the technology of mountain bikes, full suspension mountain bikes has come so far in, in the past 10 years or so. They, they pedal really well. They pedal just as good as a hardtail. A lot of them are just as light as a hardtail. Actually, my full suspension bike is lighter than my hardtail. Um, <laughs> okay. So it's, uh, you know, if you can figure out how to pack for bikepacking compared to backpacking, I, I think weight is a very important for both, but just spatial constraints are much more um, rigid on, on bike when you're pack, packing for bike packing, uh, just cause you have all these weird shaped bags that you need to fit everything into. So it's sort of a Tetris sort of situation when you're trying to squeeze it all into a full suspension bike. Um, but that said, going back to that playful element, uh, you can have a lot more fun even with a fully loaded, uh, full suspension bike, I, I think out on the trails than you can on a hardtail. Yeah, but another variable that I actually will consider is that, uh, as we were saying, kind of an, usually when you're traveling on a gravel bike, you are just going into double tracks or fire roads or something that is a bit smoother. While on the other side, if you want to have the best out of a mountain bike trail, you need also to go on jumps, rocks, rock gardens, routes. And is it... I think it's cool. So don't get me wrong on that. I think it's the coolest thing that you can actually find. Uh, but on the other side, it's also easy to do that or you need to actually to acquire or to have naturally some skills in order to go out on rough terrains and rough trails with a fully loaded bike, full suspended maybe. For sure. Um, you know, I've been mountain biking for, what, 20, almost 25 years now. So I, okay. I sort of take it for granted. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh that that skill set that i built up and uh but that being said you know not i think knowing what you're getting into out on the trail um, is really important there's plenty of easy trails out there that i've, I've taken people who have never mountain bike before out on their first mountain bike ride and they've had a total blast because they didn't realize it was that easy and that much fun uh, so there's certainly, if you choose your trails, right, you don't need to get extreme. I feel like it's just one of those things you can, you know, bite off as much as you want to chew. Uh, and you don't need to escalate into that really, you know, the jumps and the rock gardens. You can, if you're happy, just riding your bike around and looking at the birds and the bees, um, on these easier trails, that's great. Uh, conversely, you know, you can also take a drop bar gravel bike on single track trails and, you know, go exploring that way. Uh, but uh, for, for me, you know, that, that fun element is sort of paramount. So I try to prioritize the, the mountain bike part of the experience uh, versus like the, I, I'd rather ride my mountain bike on roads and be slower on the roads than ride my road bike on trails and be slower on the trails. Okay. 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 It makes a lot of sense. Uh, another thing that I wanted uh, to talk about and also to consider in this kind of um let's say, toolkit of traveling on cool part of the world with a mountain bike in super cool trails is actually the planning part. Because, again, um, you are doing your bikepacking trip, you are taking you two weeks off. You know that basically, apart from some days off or whatever, 
you can cover a lot of terrain. You can stay on the saddle for a lot of hours if you are on a gravel bike because, as I was saying, smoother uh, terrain, probably also lighter setup, probably something that we're going to talk in a little bit. Also, mechanicals, there are less parts that can break in a rigid gravel bike, I would say. But you usually um, plan for having also, I don't know, 150, 200 kilometers a day with 10 hours on it. Bikepacking in the mountain bike is a different field, right? It's a different ball play, ball game, yeah? Yeah, some, I mean, they definitely can be more complicated and more difficult to repair in the field. Um, again, I think bike technology has come a long way. I remember, you know, any sort of bike camping trip you would just count on getting multiple flat tires, you of know, course. in a weekend, right? And, and that is quickly becoming something that, you know, doesn't happen anymore. I'll, I'll go on rides and people have never repaired a flat tire before and they don't need to because it's a rarer and rarer occurrence. So that's just one example. Technology's gotten a lot better, so a lot more reliable. So I think that helps people get farther uh, out into the backcountry. You just can re rely on that gear a little bit more. Um, and yeah, what was the second part of that question? Well, the second part was actually, okay, technology is there, whatever, but still, I think that the terrain itself brings you to a, be a bit more fatigued. So it's going to be a bit more, I would say complicated to stay on the bike. Don't talk about kilometers, let's talk about hours. It's going to be probably complicated to stay on the bike for 10 hours and cover long distances on a mountain bike, while probably it's a bit easier doing it on smoother terrain on a mountain bike, uh, on a gravel bike. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, I think that's, you know, that's a really important thing. That's what I tell people when, it, when they're getting into just road touring or bikepacking. Uh, like, don't, don't obsess over, you know, Shimano or SRAM. Just find a bike and modify the bike until it fits really well and it's really comfortable. That's like doesn't matter what the parts are or what the wheel size is as long as it's really comfortable for you uh so you know those contact points make sure your saddle is really comfortable make sure you're comfortable with your pedal system uh grips i think are really important you know just those those contact points make sure it's all good make sure your disposition is good for a long day in the saddle you're not back and neck isn't killing you after after that um, so personally, I think my mountain bike is, is more comfortable than riding my gravel bike all day. Oh, that's perfect. Okay. Yeah, that's great. I'm super happy that we are kind of, uh, I don't know, dismounting and taking out and cutting in pieces all this misconception and all this conception that everybody has in their heads So something like, I don't know, just do this or just do that. Well, no, it's everything all the time should be everything related to what you do of a thing and how you're making things happen in your own way, basically. If it's for if you're getting the per the best setup for you, well, you can go out for ten hours also with your mountain bike. Doesn't mean actually, and maybe it's also more interesting because if your mindset is okay, I want to go out and be happy and have fun, and you have more fun on a mountain bike, go out and do that. You don't need this or yeah. that. Or same thing with a gravel bike, of course. Um, another thing that I want to ask. So, okay. Uh, I read a lot of magazine. That's something that I do. And I watch a lot of, uh, uh, we were talking before of records about Kendall, Mountain Festival, and all the documentaries that you can find around. Well, the thing that I really notice is that usually all the people that are doing riding and traveling with their bike that is a bit more on the mountain bike side than on the gravel side, they really love and enjoy a lot to do multi 
um, how would you call it? Uh, multi vehicles? No, they're not vehicles, but actually different uh, traveling with different things and different yes, different tools. So usually the thing that I see really often, especially in the US, I see people that are on the mountain bike and they're riding on the mountain bike, and maybe after that they will find their the canoe or little boat or whatever. Disassemble the bike put it there and go into rivers and super pristine landscapes and stuff like this. Is this because seems like actually people that are enjoying the outdoor, they are really enjoying it in everything that it is without making categorization. And also because by being a bit more upside and wild in the nature, you will find more of these ways of doing it. What do you think about that? Also, if I scroll here in your uh, Instagram account, I can see for sure uh, river crossing and uh, canoeing and everything because, wow, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I really don't know why it's, you know, it is sort of popular. Uh, I think it's just that adventurous mindset. You know, if, you've probably ridden your bike along a river and wondered what's on the other side of the river, you know, but you can't get over there. So I think having a little little inflatable raft that you can throw your bike on and paddle over there to, to ride on that other side of the river is just sort of a natural human curiosity, you know, that that people like to um, satisfy. Uh and, and I certainly, you know, I grew up canoeing before I really was into mountain biking. Um, so I certainly enjoy that sort of uh, activity. Don't do it nearly as much anymore. Biking is definitely a passion. Um, but this winter, I've been really learning how to do more backcountry skiing. Uh, so just trying to, you know, ex trying to trying to combine and, and try a bunch of new things. I think it's just a different experience, each different mode of travel, just a, a different experience of how you uh, interface with that landscape, interface with, the, with nature and, and learn from it. I think all these these uh, natural backcountry uh, experiences are, are challenging in their own ways and they really help, you know, they help shape me as a human. I learn something every time I go out uh, and, and ride on the trail or, you know, play in the dirt, look at, look at what's around me. Uh, and I think everyone can relate to that. Everyone has had some really memorable experience out and outdoors. So, you know, that's, that's part of why I like sharing everything I do uh, as much as I, as, as I do is because I think these experiences really can have a profound impact on, on each one of our personal growths. And I, I hope that, you know, by sharing these experiences, it'll inspire other people to go out there and have those experiences themselves i'm gonna ask you the last question about really technicalities then i want to talk a bit more about inspirational because i i think that from your side that we will get a lot of inspirations and the technical thing that i want to ask in your bikepacking trip there is one tool or one thing or even one feeling or one attitude or whatever it is but there is one thing that should never miss hmm, you can go philosophical you can go technical i leave that to you <laughs> Um, I really like having good maps. Uh, I'm not one of those people that, you know, everyone says you should have backup paper maps. I, uh, I rely on my phone a hundred percent for navigation, Perfect. There, which, okay. which is, you know, I would say a liability to some degree. Um, and you definitely have to manage, you know, battery life and, and the limitations with those digital, uh, navigation tools. But I would say it enables you to have such a more, just be more relaxed, have like contingency plans, have just a more comfort in 
where you are, where you're going, how long it's going to take you to get there, what are the challenges that are up ahead, or where the next good campsite is, that sort of thing. So having really good detailed maps that are, you know, topo maps that have um, trails and roads and, and different features on them uh, so that you can modify your route, your trip uh, as you're out in the field, um, or just know what's what's ahead of you for the rest of the day. Uh, sorry, I actually was uh, lying. I want to know another super technical thing. Um, how You talked about battery life. Uh, how do you, on what you rely on electricity? Because I know that actually bikepackers or whatever, uh, gravel riders, backpackers, whatever, they usually have a dynamo. Uh, but I think that also mountain bikes can be a bit different because, for example, to have your dynamo light, you have to, you need to have a certain speed, even if more for the modern one, still, it's still an issue anyways. Uh, so this could be a thing. So on what do you rely? Dynamo or a bunch of battery packs or uh, solar panels? Yeah, yeah. Uh... Great question, and one that comes up, you know, constantly. Uh, I, you know, leave it in airplane mode. Any, anytime you switch it off airplane mode and try to pick up a cell signal when there's not a really close cell signal, that is the quickest way to drain your battery. Uh, so gramming from the trail is is a no-no if you want to preserve your battery life. Uh, I... I really like Dynamo Hubs. I think it's a super cool way to harness that uh, electricity that you can create out of a hub. But yeah, I found that when I was when I switched more into single track riding and a mountain bike, I just don't ride fast enough to generate electricity to charge a battery or a phone on a mountain bike. Um, so I've just you know I got a good battery, just a battery pack that I it's got a couple iPhone charges in me, uh, and then. Uh, a lot of it has to do is like you have to dip into town to go get more groceries or whatever every couple of days. So uh, just make sure you, whatever chance you get in the grocery store or in the, in the cafe, just whip out the charger and charge all your electronics as, <laughs> as long as you can while you're in town. Yeah. Charge your phone, charge your batteries, charge your lights, even when they don't need it. Charge right. it all the time yep. you can, right? And I really mm -hmm. like also the tip of the airplane mode. That's something that's you really need to consider when you are traveling and when you are traveling in, uh, I would not say extreme condition, but not usual condition that you cannot uh, charge your phone every every night. Battery, uh, something like airplane mode will actually, yes, help you not draining your battery straight away. Let's go into the inspirational, as I was asking you, uh, as I was telling before. And uh, I don't know if I want to ask you your first time bikepacking on your mountain bike or your best episode that you want to tell me so you choose between those two if you want to answer to the both of them i'm happy um let's see the first time i guess was that no, uh, yeah. first i was time. thinking about though no, i was already thinking um a bit more forward and say tell me what went wrong but not yet. <laughs> Well, that's there's a what went wrong on every trip i think so <laughs> of course of course <laughs> Um, yeah, the first time I did sort of a bike camping trip that I can remember was, uh, there's a, there's a little bus from Portland out to the Oregon coast. It's about an hour, hour and a half away. Uh, my partner at the time and I, we just had some beat up commuter bikes that were, I think we just had rescued some old beater mountain bikes and spray painted them and put some slick tires on them. So we threw those on the bus and, and went out, uh, to the, Tillamook and the Oregon coast and then took our bikes off and then pedaled 
pedaled another hour up to the the beach and camped out in the sand dunes. And, you know, I just did that with like that beater bike and a giant backpack. And <laughs> it was, I wouldn't say that it, I quite caught the bug on that trip. It was a, a later trip where I was doing a, a regular tour on a, a road tour on a, uh, with a group of friends. And about halfway through that trip, I split off from the friends um, in Bend, which is in central Oregon, and would, tried to follow the Deschutes River uh, from its headwaters to the, the mouth in the Columbia River. So that, that's about half the state, and I was only about half successful in that, that journey. Okay. Uh, so I learned a lot about, you know, goat heads and, and tubes and, uh, and flat tires on that trip. I learned a lot about skinny tires um riding skinny tires over you know rocks and rocky single track trails but in doing that i realized that oh wow there's these trail systems really take you you know up close and personal with these mountains and these alpine lakes and you can really just see a whole feel like a much better grasp of the landscape um on the on these trails or on these more off-road touring experiences and and that was just on a like a cyclocross bike that I was there. So that's sort of where I caught the bug and, and, and started, you know, that transition more and more into bikepacking from that trip. That's perfect. That's perfect. And then from there on, you really, I think that you understand piece by piece all the time, something that you can improve, something that you would do different. And actually you get, to, ah, that's the definition. You get more experience all the time with any new trip that you're doing, right? So that's why actually I can see yourself meeting for the first time, hitting for the first time with skinny tires, uh, single rocky single tracks and stuff, you decide, okay, maybe I need to upgrade on bigger tires and everything like this. And then like these little things and big things you're improving all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that's a lot of people have that fear of switching to something new and starting out. It's like, it's a very big unknown. Uh, and, uh, you know, things, are gonna break or go wrong and that's just a reality of it so don't be afraid of it just be be fluid enough to be able to um, modify your plans um, out, out in the field and I think that's the most important thing is like yeah you know you don't need any all the special gear you don't need to get it right the first time uh, go out and you know make note of everything that didn't work great and you know do it change it up and next time you go out you'll you know, probably appreciate those changes, but identify a whole, you know, handful of new changes you want to make on the following trip. And I'm, I'm still doing that uh, to this day every trip I do. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, I can completely see the point. Don't be, don't be scared of learning something new all the time. And of course, mm -hmm. you are, I don't know, I'm saying this for myself. The only way that I learn things is by failing. So just by failing in something, I can learn something because otherwise, if everything goes through or goes in the perfect way or whatever, I will try to decide to make the extra step all the time until I don't fail and then I will try to adapt it. That's the only way. Don't be scared of starting something because you are going to fail. You are going to learn anyways. Yeah. <laughs> that's why yeah. I need to jump on a mountain bike at a certain point. But that's <laughs> another story. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, talking about the Oregon Timber Trail, uh, how would you consider that? Do you think it's a good way, or at least taking a couple of pieces of it, or just a little chunk of it? Do you think that can be a good beginner uh, adventure trail for beginning, or uh, not? Especially, uh, it is seven hundred miles long, so it's a pretty long trail. 
uh, very intimidating to, to go out and try to ride the whole thing. Uh, and some of it is really, really difficult. Some of it has a ton of climbing. Some of it's very technical. Some of it's just really rough and hard to find the trail in places. So uh, that being said, there's certain sections that are great for beginners. Uh, the Deschutes tier, I think it's probably the, uh, it's divided into four different tiers. And the Deschutes tier, which is near Bend, is uh, probably, is the shortest tier and probably the most popular beginner tier. I think it's the flattest and, and easiest riding. Uh, we're also, you know, we, we realize that that's a big barrier for a lot of people to ride the timber trail is that it's really long and technically difficult, physically challenging. So we're working on developing these tier loops along the whole trail, which are designed to be a length that people can ride in a long weekend in like two or three days. Uh, they're, they try to include single track trails and, you know, that sort of that part of the Oregon timber trail that is really special, but you eliminate for the most part, those really technically challenging pieces and, and make them make these loops more approachable to the beginner or intermediate rider. That's perfect. So just and for... We just, oh, we just, I was just going to say, we launched one of those last summer that was really popular, the Anakshat Passage Route, and that's pretty near here to Portland. Uh, this spring, we're going to be launching uh, another route uh, out in the, the Columbia River Gorge near the northern terminus of the trail. That's perfect. Yeah, I really want to ask you that. And But that is a super perfect concept, something like having loops that are close to cities where people can start tasting a bit more what does it mean. Because uh, let's talk about that really uh, directly and really, yes, truly in, uh, in a direct way. The Oregon Timber Trail, it's something unique. It's something really special. So doing it straight forward for 700 miles, that is basically for European... I googled that. For Europeans that are they're not super comf comfortable with miles, it's 1,100 kilometers, just to say. So it's something big, talking about a trail. Uh, so starting and doing it at all can be intimidating, you can understand, and creating some little loops. Uh, that you can do in one weekend or maybe if you want to take it easier even more I think is the perfect way to kick things in mm -hmm. yeah and we saw you know we were hoping that they'd be popular and um, that that was the most popular thing we you know we published on our website last year was that that route it was you know it, it saw a lot of use in the the sort of it, we had a lot of wire wildfires here in Oregon last summer so one of the wildfires actually was where that route that that tier loop we published was so it was actually we launched it in um late spring early summer um and then it was only really around for maybe one or two months before the wildfire season hit and, and ended up closing that area yeah how is it doing by the way now with the with the wildfire there was a, there were a lot of damages i was checking actually on your um instagram account that you published something like a map of the wildfires was it really bad, right? Yeah, they were they were pretty devastating uh, this past year. I think about uh, twenty miles, twenty to thirty miles of the the Oregon Timber Trail uh, got damaged by the fire. I don't; those areas are still closed, so I haven't really seen what the damage is in those areas. So sometimes fire is a healthy thing for the landscape; it doesn't burn super intensely and, and regrows and doesn't damage the soil. Other times the fire is burns really intensely and just 
fries the soil and turns it to powder, uh, those make the trail rehabilitation much more difficult. So I'm hoping it's more of the former and less of the latter, but I'm sure it's going to be a, a mix of both. Yeah, yeah. I usually end my conversations asking also the mountain bike, but with whatever is on the broom wagon side, uh, with what's your favorite backyard, backyard ride? So something like the, the ride that you're just going out from your place and you hit it and uh, yes, you have fun on it and you don't think about things and so you're kind of meditating or you think about things because you get creative there. I don't want to actually put words in your mouth, but I truly believe that the Oregon Timber Trail is basically part of your backyard ride. So do you want to tell me what's your favorite backyard ride? And you want to tell me, is it part of the trail, of the Oregon Timber Trail or not? Uh, yeah, you know, Portland is a weird place for, it's really well known for cycling, uh, but more on the transportation urban cycling urban cycling yeah um as far as mountain bike access it's actually really poor uh there's there's a few trails near town but i just don't ride them that often i really enjoy the exploratory aspect of mountain biking a ton uh and one thing that i really sort of, I mean, this, the whole Oregon Timber Trail project has been an exercise in exploring and finding sort of forgotten trails and secret little corners of the state. Uh, but this past spring during COVID, I was looking for that exploratory experience that's closer to home. So I was um, going out into, I guess it's one of the sections of the Oregon Timber Trail that's closest to, to home here. And uh I found some old maps that had a, a really large trail network on uh, uh, the Clackamas River watershed and uh, just started going out there, dropping pins on the map, going out there, you know, parking next to where this pin was and just bushwhacking around in the woods and seeing if I could find these old trails and was blown away uh, how much I actually found. You know, these trails haven't been on any map since the 1950s and, and yet I'm still finding them you know a perfect bench uh, out in the mountains and these blazes on the trees and they're all just covered in a thick layer of moss and essentially just just there uh, and you know I was I probably did more hiking last year than I did mountain biking because I was just out there getting like really addicted to this explore, exploring aspect um, but the and that really just opened my eyes to the opportunity we have I think you know, there's a, like I mentioned, there's a uh, shortage of trails and trail experiences near the Portland metro area. And I discovered this uh, network that's probably 500 miles worth of interconnected trails, just an hour to two hours outside of Portland that just doesn't exist anymore. It's still there on the ground, but it's, you know, the trails are closed and non-existent, not on any maps. Uh, so I just see a huge, huge opportunity there to rehabilitate those trails, reopen them up. Um, I think that, you know, it's, it could just become a, a timber trail aside, just this, this area could become a, a destination and they're just a really amazing riding and, and hiking and horseback riding uh, trail network. Uh, do you have them already something like in some maps or whatever around this, or you just have them in your 
really whole old maps that you have at home where you discover? You drop them already online? No, I mean, there's nothing. I can't really sh share. I, 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 you know, there's, a, there's this one called Rhododendron Ridge and Burnt Granite is, a, is another trail name. Uh, it's actually an old section of the Pacific Crest Trail that was rerouted from what I gather sometime in the 70s or 80s. Uh, so that one is barely open and rideable. It's still pretty rough. Uh, but for the most part, these are, it's definitely a bushwhacking experience. It's not something I really want to publish or share or tell people to go hike or ride just because you're more than likely going to fall in a Creek or get lost or <laughs> whatnot. So, okay. uh, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Even if there is kind of a motto that is all around for all the people that are bikepacking or whatever, that is, I never go out for a hike without my bike. So, <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just need to, it happens, right? There is no adventure without hike a bike and river crossing. These are two things that you need to take <laughs> in consideration. And I think they are the same gravel bike or whatever bike, it's everything like this. Um, just want to say something really quickly. You just mentioned, we were really good. Uh, COVID. And uh, this is actually my COVID jar idea that it took also from Dom. Uh, all the time that myself or one guest talk about COVID, I just needed to, to find around some coins. I just drop a coin in my COVID jar and I go and I give all the money to a charity that is Sea Watch, that is helping refugees that are moving from uh, uh, in the Mediterranean, the Central Mediterranean area. And the first time that usually myself or my guests are mentioning it, I also mention it also in the podcast because I think it's really important and Sea-Watch needs a lot of support. That's oh, it. great. Thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you, really. Thank you for, for naming it because otherwise, you know, we, it would be over and without naming it, it's super bad. Um, thanks a lot, Dan. I think that actually we covered almost anything of i wanted to talk about and actually thanks a lot for all the tips and the great inspiration that you gave us and ah yeah maybe some that's why almost everything there is still something that is missing please gabe can you give us contacts website instagram accounts wherever we can find you or the oregon timber trail or whatever of your activities because i really think that this mini-series doesn't work if all of us will not get a bunch of inspiration to go outside and exploring. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Oregon Timber Trail is really easy to find online. We're just Oregon Timber Trail on Instagram, Facebook. Our website is oregontimbertrail.org. We have a really, really thorough guide for the entire trail. That's a PDF guide, GPS, GPS files, the, the whole shebang. Um, and then those, those tier loops that I mentioned. So there's an incredible amount of resources on, on our website. Um, we also have some trail work, uh, events that you could sign up for. Um, those are just as fun as riding the trail. A lot of the times, um, those events are up on the website. Um, personally, uh, my, I'm, I'm on Instagram as Gabriel Amadeus. That's just Gabriel, A-M-A-D-E-U-S. Uh, and yeah, um, follow along. Uh, we've got a lot of really cool stuff in the works. I didn't even get to talk about this race we're doing in July. So uh, uh, you'll see more about that if you check out the Oregon Timber Trail here in the next couple of weeks. If you want to talk about that, I can give you time. <laughs> um, it's not it's not totally public yet, so I don't have a ton to share. But yeah, we did set a date, July 10th, um, just going to be a track leader style race, like the, the Silk Road race um, or the, the Tour Divide. 
And, you know, it's going to be a, we're going to keep track of fast times throughout the whole season. This is just really a suggested start date. We're going to have a little barbecue and stuff down in the, the community of Lakeview, which is by the southern southernmost terminus uh, along the trail. So really looking forward to that as a way to uh, bring a bunch of riders together to, you know, integrate with the, the community a little bit um, and, and also have sort of a, a race style event in a, in a again, COVID safe manner um, along the trail. Uh, since it is, it's not like a organized event. Everyone's just sort of you know, riding themselves and it's unsupported. So they are self-supported. So they have to, um, you know, handle all the logistics themselves. So basically it's going to be something like uh, you're going to, Something like, uh, I don't know if it's hosting the event, but actually calling for the event in one week, one week, and then remember what you said, but, and then people are going to ride all together. It's not something that is going to be open for the old season of stuff. Well, yeah, it, it's similar. I think, um, is it the Colorado trail that does it similarly where it's just sort of a rolling, you know, whoever has the fastest known time, you can attempt a record at any point in time. Uh, but they have a suggested start date, uh, So it's, it's really unofficial, obviously, you know, it's, it's, um, self-supported, there's no entry fees. Uh, so we're, we're just having that suggested start date as a way to create a little bit of a community uh, around the event. Um, and, and in future years, you know, we help to, we hope to build out this event into something that is more supported, um, where we can actually, you know, cater people, you know, good meals every night and, and that sort of thing along the whole trail. So we'll see what, what it, Uh, cooks into over the next couple of years 21st of july uh 10th of july 10th of july 10th of july perfect well it seems like really really interesting gabe really happy for sharing it for us even if it's not public if it's not public yet but actually we're gonna continue <laughs> to find the information here that, anyways i think we're gonna go live between middle of april or stuff like this so probably are gonna be publishing already by then so Yeah, it's, it's already on the website. We just haven't really announced it yet. <laughs> That's perfect. Gabe, really, thanks a lot for your time and thanks a lot for the inspiration and thanks a lot also for the information that you gave us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me and uh, keep up the good work. Thanks a lot. You too, man. You are doing greater work than I. I just talk. You really built up stuff <laughs> and the community as well. Not only building up the trails, but building up the community and something really important. Yeah. And that's really the important part. I mean, I've realized the power of community throughout this whole project. Yeah, I can tell you actually that after the talk of our talk today and uh, Dom suggested me, you to, have, to be here in the podcast or whatever, I think that I need to come over there and get a mountain bike and have a proper yes ride together. Also because he told me yeah. that you make amazing pictures, so I want to be in one of your pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Come, come over anytime and we'll take you out on the timber trail. <laughs> That's perfect. Thanks a lot, Gabe. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot, Gabe, for sharing with us all this info. And really now I can't really wait. I really like your approach, man. I really like the approach of uh, going out and just enjoy, try to remember to be comfortable on the bike and don't be stuck in categories. I'm gonna repeat this over and over, inclusion, do what's the best for you. Don't think about buying new things in order to do something new, but just put your mindset into the exploration mode. If you want to go out on the mountain bike, do it. If you want to go out with a gravel bike, do it. If you want to go out on the, on the road bike, sorry, or indoor with the road bike, just sweating your brain off on an indoor trainer, please do it. Whatever is better for you, whatever fits you. The most important thing and 
it should not hurt. Let's put it in this way. It should be funny. Or at least the beneficial part should be a bit better than not the hurtful part. Remember that and everything is going to be fine. We mentioned as well this thing during the interview. Remember my COVID jar? All the time that I'm mentioning the word COVID or whatever is related to that, also vaccine now and uh, whatever it is, I'm gonna drop a coin into my COVID jar. Well, why am I doing that? Because uh, I believe that actually we are coming out from a really stressful period with this COVID situation and I truly believe that being vaccinated, getting the vaccine, it's really important, it's the most important thing that will help us going out of this situation. But as well, listening to these news over and over again makes us, let's say, a bit more stress that we need. So for this reason, I will try not to mention it so much during this podcast in order to escape a bit more from the classic thing and get a bit more of fresh and inspirational content but if I do it I want to make it worth it so dropping a coin in my COVID jar means actually collecting some money that will go to the sea watch the amazing NGO that really rescue people that are trying to move from the Africa to Europe using the central Mediterranean way and they are few of these NGOs that are really taking care about these people and they really would love to support them because their work, it's really amazing. So thanks a lot, Sea-Watch, for that. Really, really, thanks a lot. We are talking about Komoot now, briefly talking about Komoot because the tip, well, people, now Komoot unlocked an amazing, really, feature. It's not only about riding or off-road riding but it's more about sharing and inspiring everybody so now once that you finish your you finish your plan your route you can actually put some photos there and then share it through social media my favorite one of course are the instagram stories and then with a couple of taps on your iphone you are gonna put or phone mobile phone you can actually go straight away into the Instagram stories with some good photos, all the data, and also a map. Try to figure it out how to do it. It's really easy, as I was saying. Once that you actually publish it, just click on share and, sorry, tap on share, and everything is going to be super easy to publish it in social media and way helpful for people that want to know a bit more about your rights and get inspired. Remember that you can do the same as well by going to the Broom Wagon account on Komoot, link down below, and you can check everything that is related to the backyard rights, the large rights that I really like uh, to talk with people that are the ones that are really on our back door and will help us escaping a bit more of this screen time, massive screen time that we are having day after day, especially in a period like this. So sharing on social media with Komoot now became really easy. what else? Nothing. Remember that you can still uh, listen to all the episodes that are around about the Broom Wagon. But if you like this one, absolutely this one, remember to share it with your best friends. And if you still didn't, please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. For me, it's amazingly important because it will help me on char- something like um, climbing the charts and letting more people know what I'm doing. And that's super cool. Or if you want to support my job, remember that you can offer me a coffee, something like buy me a coffee by using the coffee link down below. It's super important, this one for me as well, just to cover some expenses. It's 
it's also good also to listen to people and to understand that people are really there supporting me. That's also is a great boost on my morale. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you are been you have been enjoying this uh, mini series, Drop to Flat. And remember, next week is gonna be the last episode, but still, it's gonna be here around, and you can continue listen to that. For now, nothing. I will jump on the bike and have a nice ride. Bye. Sound right, boy.